Digital Dissection, a nerd podcast, can at times contain adult language and themes. It is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to the Digital Dissection Podcast, where we take a closer and possibly unnecessary look at our favorite properties, creators, and topics. We are your humble hosts, Joe and Mark, two pop culture nerds dedicated to telling entertainment history before it's forgotten too soon. Join us on Facebook, Twitter, and our blog for more information on the show. We also love to hear from you. Write us at digitaldissectionpodcast at gmail.com. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's get to dissecting. Every podcast has three parts or acts, which I heard was ripped off of a movie that we agreed to watch for this program. It, it may be, as I'm still trying to figure out the three acts to a podcast, there is, there is, I believe, the thought, the hasty production, and then the post. I think that's the podcast. I, th- I think those are the three, the three parts to them. Yeah, I think that sounds yeah. about right. Mm-hmm. I think that's. I mean, that's what we do. We don't edit anything. Everything's a one take on the show. Uh, so oh, if you see a jump yeah. cut, it's just we we we're jittery. That's all. I was going to say that's intentional. Mm-hmm. Like, like yes, us look, doing that. That's that's mm-hmm. a spastic, intentional movement. It is not jump cut. Yeah. So we were just going to go into the movie we we're watching uh, this week or rewatched for this week, uh, and that is the Christopher Nolan's meet within a, a early Batman sandwich right between Batman begins and the dark Knight returns. We get the prestige in 2006, which wow. also has that, you know, two, I think it's just two, um, two actors from the Batman series that no one put out Christian Bale. And, uh, one of your favorite Brits that you like imitating so much, Michael Caine. Yes. Who doesn't like Michael Caine? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Who's not a fan of Michael Caine? Yeah. Dude's been around uh, forever, man. He's fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I love how like Christopher Nolan keeps going like, you know, hey, is uh do we still have do we still have is, Kane on, on speed is dial? Mm-hmm. You know? Phone yeah. picks up and he's just mm-hmm. like You want me another movie again, don't you? And he's like, mm-hmm. Yes I do, yes I do. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Like, my favorite, favorite like Michael Caine moments ever is not an on screen one. It's where he talked about how he met some guy that hackled and harassed him over uh, Jaws. I think it's, I think he's in Jaws 2. I think it was, I thought he was in is Jaws 3 3D, wasn't he? I thought he was in 3D. I, I'm he pretty sure he was. 3D, but he was in a Jaws sequel and how this guy told him that it was hands down the worst movie he'd ever seen in his life. And Michael Caine was like, yeah, yeah, that may be. But I bought my mother a house with that movie. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <it's> like, okay. <laughs> Even that guy's worst, one of his worst movies was probably better than someone's biggest accomplishment. So <laughs> there is that. Good job, Michael Caine. And putting out a crap Jaws movie that, you know what? Honestly, the main scheme of things doesn't matter. Went out there, made money. Mom got a house. That's a win for Michael Caine. You know, it's not like mm-hmm. a, a lot of actors feel regret for films unless it's like Bill Murray and Garfield, you know? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I believe know. Christopher Reeve was quoted as saying he made too, too many Superman movies. So, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I think mm-hmm. I think a lot of people agree with him on that, on that front. Yeah, three and but, four did and, not need to happen, but hey, <laughs> here we are. At, at mm-hmm. which point, you got to be like to the original Star Trek cast, you got to be like, did you guys make four too many movies? I mean, do we want to, do we want to talk about that for a minute? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> was it like it was literally like every other one was good? <laughs> yeah, basically. One didn't do great, two was good, three didn't do great, four was great. <laughs> yeah, seriously, mm-hmm. man. It's it's like it's the version of taking prescription drugs in way too many just so that you can get through the duds. That's mm-hmm. basically what, yep. <laughs> what they did there. Yeah, it's like, but you know the, the, good, f- yeah. the first gummy didn't give me anything. I should probably have two. Ooh. Yeah, it's, I, you go. really want to feel it. You really yeah. want to feel it. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, that's that. That's what's good about about this movie from Christopher Nolan because famously, mm-hmm. Joe, we didn't know this during our our recording of Inception, but we found out in post that you actually didn't care for Inception at all. 
it was not my movie. And I'm sorry. I apologize to everyone because I know that that is, that is kind of a gold standard in not only Nolan's movies, but just kind of movies in general. And I couldn't get into it. <laughs> just, I don't know what it was. I don't know what it was. Like I, like acting was not bad. Like it was definitely not bad. Um, amazing cast. What I, what I think was, was, was considered good writing, but to me, it felt complex for the sake of being complex, uh, which, which I guess, I don't know, for some who've seen The Prestige and who have seen Inception may think it's hypocritical of how much I like this movie, because this is the one where if you haven't seen it, I almost recommend that as soon as you're done watching it the first time, you watch it again watch right it away. Again. Because there is... Yep. So damn much layering and foreshadowing in this movie that it is crazy that when the end happens and you're like, how did I not see that coming? And you watch it again and you can be like, seriously, how did I not see that coming? They laid this out like, from start to beginning that this stuff was, that this shit was going to happen. Dude, it's, it's as blunt is mm -hmm. getting like slapped across the face you know it, yeah. it's like someone's taking the glove off and then they hit you with the the glove it's like mm -hmm. that's what this movie it, it, it's it's literally two hours of like it's mm -hmm. it's that nice little posh little white glove just slapping you for like two hours and you're like but the the thing was joe is that i did pick up on a lot of this the first time i watched it and mm -hmm. and i know that we, we always say like get to the content damn it but i do have a story for this one yes now when i first saw this movie it was all because of a flat tire so one of the first winters that i was back here in wisconsin i was jumping on the highway heading over to the east side of madison to go to school go to college the moment that i got onto the highway literally the first part of my trip i run over this like metal bar that was left on the highway mm -hmm. blow a tire and i have to immediately go get it replaced well I head over to the only place at that point that I reliably got any kind of auto work done by. And it was Walmart because I was a college student. Yep. <laughs> and that sounds right. And I was, I was walking up the aisles, wasting some time to get in my car service. And the prestige is sitting on the end cap. I didn't have a chance to see it in theaters. And I was like, yep, you're coming home with me. Cause today was filled with trauma daddy like <laughs> and i need you <laughs> yes and that's and that's why yep. I, I i dove in to magician mm -hmm. versus magician and and found out this movie is actually based on a novel by christopher priest oh. and it, it ended up yeah it, it ended up being adapted by the mm -hmm. the nolan brothers so jonathan and christopher yes there's two of them they're writing partners quite often and yeah dude they let this idea kind of naturally form mm -hmm. like i said over five years like they would do a project come back to it do another mm -hmm. one come back I mean, it was it was yeah. pretty badass the amount of time mm -hmm. they put into it yeah no and and honestly taking just a step back there when you had a story to go along with this movie uh after the last film we talked about i was fully <laughs> expecting we're like so joe for the prestige there were three women one free divorcees. Two divorcees. They were thirsty, man. They were thirsty. <laughs> and I had learned from the mummy that day, my friends. I just <laughs> dove right in. They, my intentions were known immediately. <laughs> <laughs> yes. What had once been a a coy mark, playing it off as though he wasn't really knowing what he was doing <laughs> with these two girls, knew full right that he wanted all three this time. So anyway, <laughs> yeah. um, when looking at uh, accolades for this movie, like you, you mentioned, it was it was adapted by the two Nolan brothers based off of a book called The Prestige by Christopher Priest. Uh, this is something, when we look at the success of, of Christopher Nolan, uh, this was nominated for Best Art Direction and Best Cinematography. Did not yeah. win either, which is kind of sad. No. No, yeah. it didn't win. It didn't win either. But at the same time, the the veneer of a Christopher Nolan mm -hmm. film is it, it wasn't bluntly obvious to everyone at mm -hmm. first, right? Like to people who appreciate film art or uh, film production, whatever. Like, yeah, you're probably looking at that and you're 
you're feeling noticeably moist the longer that you watch it. Yes. Mm-hmm. But not every not everyone is looking for that kind of stuff. And I, I always found it really cool that, that Wally Fister, who is the director of photography, mm-hmm. you know, him and Christopher Nolan worked together several times. And it doesn't take very long to kind of figure out that this movie is very, very much Waldy Fister. Like you're not using a whole lot of production lighting. Like mm-hmm. it's, it's all naturally lit, dude. If you go back and watch this, that's why it feels like it kind of has that, that gray slash, mm-hmm. like, uh, I don't know what you want to call it, like a, a, a diseased blue kind of hue to everything. Yeah, you know? not like not like a full on peace super scenario, but when you're going into like like you know the history and the backdrop uh, of the Victorian age that it's set in, is you have that this is very much the era where the old fashion is being replaced with new and modern, where we have the onset of the industrial revolution and science is the new magic, which is also you know a theme to this movie that we'll get to in a little bit and that it is something that is so wondrous and seemingly impossible that instead of people not dealing with it or learning about it because they don't understand it, they think of it as magic or they think of it as something more than what it is, uh, which I think is uh, a line from another movie to quote is that any advanced uh, technology would seem like magic to a lesser civilization, mm. which I believe was Superman Returns. Um, but alas, we'll just throw in <laughs> random Superman facts the whole, this entire it feel, show. It feels yeah. like it needs to be said by a British push person, you know? Like, it does. When, when you say mm-hmm. the, the, the science and the magic, you know? It's just like, <laughs> just just feels like that, you know? Mm-hmm. Or, or maybe a little bit lighter. The science and the magic, the magic. you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. But yes, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, it, I, I kind of equate this to the effect you kind of get from uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s Sherlock Holmes, you know, like mm-hmm. where you're, you're on the step, like the, the stoop of mysticism, right? Yes. But mm-hmm. you're also set against this very important formational time in human history. You know, so mm-hmm. it, it all kind of feels like you're you're being placed in the in the seat of someone who doesn't know what it's like to be beyond that point, and it's deliberate and and well done, I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and when you when you look at deliberate and well done, looking at like the actual production part of this, is there's actually, believe it or not, very little set building to try and turn Los Angeles into Victorian London. Uh, so, but the little they did do was like spot on the amount of care that they took to doing this. Because one thing that they were known for doing again, uh, this, again, I guess it being like this, this really turning of a page in, in world history is that this is also when we first get like really, really heavy advertising uh, anywhere in the, on the planet. So you just see like entire walls and lampposts and like horse carriages covered in like the same advertising over and over again, layered right on top of each other. Because you have to think again, this is a time before television, before radio, where if you want someone to find out about what you're doing, about your show, your, your store, your anything, you have to make a poster for it and slap it up on a wall where like, it's not going to get torn down. And the best way to do that is make as many of them as you can and put them up in as many places as you can. So you have like, you know, almost like Dr. Who Bad Wolf style, just like posters on top of posters all over the place. I, I, I kind of feel like busting out song from the greatest showman now because it's set in like the same era, just, yep. just in the U S and also stars Hugh Jackman, you know? Yep. Which also just, I, I was, I probably wait, I was secretly waiting for the podcast to actually start going into the characters and comparing one, magi- one magician to the next, because um, Christian Bale's character is far much more on the technical side of, of the tricks. And yeah. you have then Hugh Jackman's who is more about the flash, the panache uh, and you know, the show. And so one might dare call him the greatest showman between <laughs> between the of the time I, and that's what is is interesting about this movie because mm-hmm. i i do not want to ruin this movie it is way too great of a payoff mm-hmm. but at the same time you're right like the 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 problem with jackman's robert angier and then bale's alfred borden 
mm-hmm. is that they are two halves that if put together are the perfect magician, but they both have their critical flaws. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, what's really fun to watch unfold throughout this movie, because like you mentioned, Joe, the set building is fantastic. Yeah. The cinematography is great. The imagery is mm-hmm. stunning. And I mean, Christopher Nolan doesn't screw this stuff up. No, he just, Mm-mm. he just doesn't. No, I mean, <laughs> so. he, he, he can set up a shot, but, uh, you know, more than setting up the shot is, I guess the care and just fully crafting everything about the shot. So more than getting like the angle and the lighting and the backdrop, right. Uh, because the backdrop may be something that's produced later on, uh, whether digitally or like maybe you just get like a perfect view of something in the background. Like this yeah. is a guy who's crafted an entire set to where the directors are saying like, you know what, like we can set up a shot so easily because of how well everything around it has been produced and how much care and thoughts gone into it. Yeah, exactly. You you don't have any of those moments like you would in a Marvel movie where someone turns around and you're like, yep, that's the green screen moment, which mm-hmm. is 90% of the film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But no, you don't get that here. Now, no. you do get an absolutely stunning cast, as we've mentioned, because Christopher mm-hmm. Nolan does not fuck around when it comes to casting. No. And we've already covered some big ones, but I do want to take a moment to help some people do an impression. And Joe, I'm going to even... I'm even going to teach you how to do an impression tonight, okay? Ooh, okay. So we briefly mentioned Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. Now, I want to teach people who are listening and yourself how to do a Michael Caine impression. Okay. All right. So how we break this down, mm-hmm. You could, I, I can teach anyone to do an impression of Michael Caine by just saying his name. All right. So, Joe, mm-hmm. can you say the word my as in a possession like that's my thing just say my my okay perfect yes now mm-hmm. step one try try your best to say cocaine but oh. fully pronounce the phonetics of cocaine cocaine all right perfect now say my cocaine just like how i taught you my cocaine yep now now, okay, just tweak okay. that a little bit. Mm-hmm. Tweak that a little bit. Now, we're trying to go to, to pretend like you're from his hometown, but mm-hmm. you're saying my with, 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 almost like with like an H, right? Mm-hmm. Like my. My. Okay. My. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Yeah. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Michael Caine. And then, yeah, just, just yeah, add just a little rasp. There. A little rasp on the end of that cane. Michael Caine. And then you Michael got Michael Caine. <laughs> Michael Caine. Michael Caine. Mm-hmm. Michael Caine. <laughs> yeah. I, now I've been doing this for quite a few years, okay? Mm-hmm. I, I, I've been doing this for quite a few years. So after a while, you'll you'll get the hang of it. But yeah, mm-hmm. folks, try it out. Go in the mirror. Practice. Beautiful. Yes. It will do for you. Michael mm-hmm. Caine. So anyway, there you go. <laughs> but yeah, so so Michael Caine ends up acting as the, the mentor, though, to mm-hmm. you know Hugh Jackman and, and Christian Bale. And they end up forming this kind of like uh, family of of magicians and <laughs> isn't mm-hmm. it, it and it's truly a family because they're like bickering yeah. with each other at times they're, mm-hmm. you know they're yeah it's they're, not, they're it's not a yeah it, it's definitely a, you would think oh like a uh i don't maybe a step family <laughs> like they <laughs> they they're helping each other grow but they're driving each other absolutely crazy in the process yeah yeah well you're least, not my real dad yeah yeah <laughs> uh, i would say at least maybe like Michael Caine as again, like kind of the mentor to both of them. He does that well and they both respect him, but definitely you see um, kind of the refusal uh, on both sides of Christian Bale and, um, and Hugh Jackman to really do things differently than how one perceives how it should be done. Uh, Christian Bale thinks that um, Hugh Jackman is playing it way too safe and he wants to do kind of riskier, bigger things. And, You've got um, Hugh Jackman saying, like, you know, just doing big flat, like big things isn't enough. You have to actually have some flash and some panache to it. You've got to you've got to get the audience to really like you as much as they like the magic. And Christian Bale's like characters didn't see the value in doing that. So, you know, you have like this butting of heads, which eventually leads to them parting ways and things getting very ugly pretty darn quick, uh, to be honest. Yes, it, it really mm-hmm. like it, it's it's a very sharp like 
well pointed out thing that these guys, you can tell they don't get along and, and the moments of clarity between the two of them are very far and few between. Now we don't mm -hmm. want to mention specifically what causes this, this whole thing to fall apart because you, no. you if you haven't seen this yet, you need to see see it mm -hmm. i hate to say that because people have been telling me that about the office for years and i fight them <laughs> on it yeah well at least but, you know with yeah. this show there's no like bad 80th minute to it or something where you could have <laughs> actually gone without that minute or that season yeah. and it would have been fine just ending either before because you make a lot of poor decisions to try and just replicate characters that used to be on the show or you know yes um make very pointless weird drama between like the two fan favorite characters who were a couple like that stuff like you didn't force any of that into this movie like you did that season but no anyway speaking no. of fan favorites and others in here scarlett johansson is in this movie as eventually showing up she shows up in like kind of like the second second half of this movie she's not in there the whole thing but just about mm -hmm. yeah just about yeah yeah she ends up becoming uh one of the future uh, I, I don't, I actually don't even know what the term is for this. What, what do they call the, is the assistant, the magician's yeah. assistant. Mm -hmm. That's what she becomes. Yep. Yeah. For, yes. for Hugh Jackman later on, mm -hmm. for sure. Yeah. Um, yeah. other than that, we have, um, the head of the guild of calamitous intent himself, Mr. David Bowie, uh, oh. who gets to play a historical figure in this one. So in a world of kind of like an homage to the Victorian era mm -hmm. and the entertainment of the time, we have actually a real person being represented with Nikola Tesla by David Bowie. We get to see um, hints towards the level of competition he had with Thomas Edison, where you actually get to, I do they, I'm trying to think if they allude directly to the elephant or I if it's just we'll another, we're, another we're, animal. We're, we're going mm -hmm. to get there for sure. Okay. Yeah. Mm -hmm. we, we will get there shortly. I, I promise you for the folks that have listened to us before and they say, we'll mention that in mm -hmm. a bit. And then we never get back to it. We will get back to this point. We will I get promise back you. To it. Yep. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yeah, dude, David Bowie is fantastic. Is Nikola Tesla. Uh, Andy Circus mm -hmm. plays his assistant, Mr. Alley, who is, I, 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 this is not a part where they're asking too much of him. Mm -hmm. and, and that's why I love Andy Circus in this because everybody knows him for Gollum and, yep. you know, for mo capping a, a gorilla and mm -hmm. planet of the apes and all that. He does a fantastic job just being like a servant to Tesla. I, yes. I loved this role mm -hmm. for him. I really did. Yeah. And they believe it or not, they do sneak in a Lord of the Rings reference into this movie. Did you catch it? Ooh, I don't think I've ever, I don't think I've ever ah. even tried to watch for it. Okay. So um, in a scene where I believe it is Hugh Jackman having a conversation with Mr. Alley, I think it's one of the first times they meet where there, there's a gate between the two of them. Um, at one point in time, Circus actually asks um, asks Hugh Jackman what he has in his hand, which in magician's terms, once upon a time, was a way of asking someone, what do they have in their pocket for what they're actually mm. hiding for the trick? Yes, the, the so, ring is still in your yes, pocket. <laughs> yes, what do you, what's in my pocket is what Bilbo asked Gollum when they first met. So I guess not a Lord of the Rings reference. It is a Hobbit reference. Yeah, it's, 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 yeah. it's the series. It's, it's, the it's series. there. It's the story. Yeah. So, but yeah, just, just a fun thing that was, was put in this movie. Um, yeah. And I mean, there are a lot of things that kind of show up oddly in this movie, like they do in other ones. And you can't say it's a, it's a reference to other things because like, for instance, um, at one point there is a few jail scenes and I could tell you who's there. Um, but one of the inmates who is prominently present presented has the, the inmate number D 23 on that, which is mm. a sign that this was distributed by Disney. And yeah. if you watch the winter soldier, Bucky's in his cell, cell numbers D 23. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So yeah. just little fun nods to this movie that are made in the future. Mm -hmm. now, now, speaking of fun nods, now the book that I mentioned, I wanted to take a little bit of time here because I did actually go back and read a good amount of it after I saw oh. the movie. Mm -hmm. And we talked about in the very beginning how there's three acts. Well, they, they mentioned how there's three acts in a magic trick, as you mentioned, the pledge where yes. you presented something. There's the turn where that thing does something that you're not quite ready to see. And mm -hmm. then there's the prestige where there's the big payoff, the right? Payoff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So in the book, they don't actually call it these things. Okay. They actually oh. call it the setup, the okay. performance, and then the prestige. No. So it's 
just a little bit of a tweak. I think mm-hmm. I think the pledge and the turn sound more mysterious. Like the, they do, they have a better catch yeah. to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the setup and the performance sounds mm-hmm. pretty missionary to me. Like that's yeah, that's like mm-hmm. sex with your socks on. Okay, yeah, it is what the kids refer to as basic, perhaps <laughs> yes. basic AF. Yes, if I were to exactly. Be so bold, but yeah, yeah. no, it's it is is a fun. Also, part of the movie where Michael Caine just explains the whole things. He's explaining it to a little girl, I believe. Um, yes, when he he's is. going over yeah. uh, an initial trick where you see um, a bird in a cage put on a table. You put a cloth over the bird, slam the thing down, pull the pull the uh, the handkerchief away. There's nothing on the table, and then you pull the bird out, and the bird seems to be fine. Yeah, big emphasis on the seems to be fine. Uh, bit. But yeah, he's explaining uh, the pledge. It's the part where you want to basically you're showing your audience that, hey, that what is in front of you is authentic. I swear by it. It's normal. There's nothing to see here. It is average. It is every day. And then the turn is some big initial big eye catcher moment where you're going to turn the everyday into something that floors your audience. So it's like, oh, oh, I did did not see that coming. Um, and, and the prestige is the big payoff at the end. So in this case, it was the table and the bird being very ordinary. The, then the turn is slamming the bird cage down into the table. And the prestige is the presentation of the bird afterwards, yeah. seemingly unscathed. It's not just enough to make it disappear. You got to no. bring it back, right? Like that's, exactly. Because yeah. anyone can make anything disappear. I can make I can make a $20 bill disappear. I can make a hamburger disappear incredibly quickly to the point where you may be worried about me. But mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. bringing it back, can't do that. So really, the burger thing <laughs> well, is not impressive. Can... <laughs> it is just worrisome. You can bring it back, but I don't think people are going to want to see that watch it or smell it but regardless Mm -hmm. regardless of that there there's another piece of the book that does survive into the movie and and this is something that i thought was really cool it's it's actually a storytelling method okay that's referred to as an apostolary which is when you actually tell a story through like a series of letters or journals right Mm -hmm. and they do the same thing in the movie where you're you're hearing all of the events that unfold because of journals written by the main characters and so that was a nice little callback that if you yeah. had read the book, mm-hmm. you're like, okay, yep, this this storytelling method makes sense to me. Okay. Yes. And mm-hmm. I'll be blunt with you. The first time I watched it, I thought it was just narration. I didn't even realize it was the, <laughs> the journals. And I say, yeah. that's the thing with this movie. There is so much that you don't even realize is happening with this. Like, God, like the, the one I want to go over the most, I don't want to say because it will... Like, if I say to look out for this, you will then end up guessing the movie, like, flat out from the, from the start. So all I can say is that they actually, if you're, if, you know, if you're paying attention, you know what to look for. It's like, the, it is staring you in the face, uh, like, the payoff of this movie. But even thinking of, like, again, like, the prestige itself. This movie can be shown, if you think about it, into three large parts where you see the pledge. It is the movie that's being presented to you as it is just honest to goodness kind of like a a war between two magicians just trying to out-trick each other. And yeah. then you get a turn in the movie where it's like it actually turns out it is much more than that, and their feud is more than just just a business. And then you can even start to see a little bit of how they do their business. And then there is the actual prestige, the payoff to the way that – you know, really a couple things, because there's the prestige of showing, one, how you actually see they've done their tricks, but then whoa, whoa, even whoa. to see how they've been, like, Joe, tricking each Joe, other. I got to stop you. Mm-hmm. We can't call these tricks. Oh, They're I'm sorry. Illusions. They're illusions. illusions, Joe. I'm sorry. Illusions. Mm-hmm. My, my apologies. It's just I've had too many one-hour Fox specials of a match of a, of a masked magician just explaining all these things to me. And I was expecting him to show up at some point in time in this movie, and he never came, Mark. He never Tricks came. Tricks something a whore does for money, okay? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Or candy. Or candy. Yeah, okay. Or candy. If you're an Arrested Development fan, <laughs> you'll, you'll get that one, but sorry. Mm-hmm. We don't... We haven't covered that show yet, so a little bit of left <laughs> it's, it's, field. It's, it's on the docket. 
Yep. Mark is, <laughs> he's put it there, bullet pointed it, underlined it, italicized it, and bold it in the fury that one day I'll agree to do it. Yeah, exactly. It's going mm-hmm. to happen. Okay. It will just, happen. Just like, It'll get there. Just like the soup kitchen in the back of that Prius, it's going to happen. It's okay, gonna- Joe? <laughs> so, the, mm-hmm. but you're, you're right though you're right absolutely the way the movie is set up is exactly in the same vein that that the trick or the i just said trick the you illusion <laughs> the illusion <laughs> the way the illusions are set up but at the same time the the real turning point for the early part of this movie is when these these magicians are actually out on their own they've broken out of this this feud situation mm-hmm they're not a, a happy little family anymore, and now they're off doing their own things. And that's when you really start to get the sabotage, and they're they're trying to learn from each other. Mm-hmm. What is the other one doing? And they're actually like putting on disguises and and watching each other's performances. Yeah. And, and like, I mean, sneaking it, yeah. into the actual performance because it, it, they escalate that. It's more than just like trying to figure it out from a distance. It is suddenly. I'm going to be in your show, motherfucker. Yeah. And I'm going to make your trick. Like, I might sabotage a trick here and there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, it, it's true. It's true. And I, I thought it was really brutal because mm-hmm. both of these guys clearly have, you know, there, there's different stakes involved, right? So uh, Borden has a, a young family. Mm-hmm. You know, he has a wife that I wouldn't say took a leap of faith to marry him. But there's a lot of uncertainty in their relationship. Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. And she picks up on it right away, mm-hmm. which once again, we're not going to tell you why. Nope. And and on the other side, there's trauma that's affecting Angier. And so mm-hmm. he's driven more by his his hatred of Borden, whereas Borden is actually trying to legitimately create like the greatest magic trick that anyone's ever seen mm-hmm. or the greatest illusion anyone has ever seen. <laughs> and so that's the what leads us to the trans- anyone has ever seen. <laughs> exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And, and, but that's what leads us to what's called the transported man, which is supposedly the greatest trick that anyone has ever yes. seen. Yes. Mm-hmm. So speaking of the greatest trick that's ever seen, we can at least tell you what the trick is without explaining how the trick is done. Because again, explaining how the trick is done will crucially get like, tell you what's going on in the movie and, and ruin it for you. But basically is you have, um, Al, Alfred going into one door with a ball where he bounces the ball and then it goes into the door and about 10 feet away, there is yet another door and the ball is now bouncing towards it. And just as it gets close to the door, the door opens up and out pops Alfred to grab the ball. And it appears he has been transported that 10 feet. Yeah. How he There's did no it. Way. No one knows. There's no way he could do that that quickly. No, There's just no mm-hmm. way. No, yeah, the technology doesn't exist. Doesn't exist. He's not. He's. I mean, no one's that fast. No. No. I no. mean, if you were, if you were that fast, I think you just get made fun of for it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Borden, <laughs> Borden's backstage going fast as fuck. Fast as fuck. Fast as fuck. The fastest man alive. We'll tell you, could do that trick. Fast as fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, which which and, and this is what's great about the transported man is that mm-hmm. the first time he does it, they don't actually show the 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 trick itself. Mm-mm. All you see is uh, Michael Caine sitting in the audience because he's what's referred to as an onjonia, which is the mm-hmm. the guy that crafts these these you know these illusions. And so yeah. John Cutter, who's the character that he plays, is known for his ability to show you all the the stuff you've probably already seen in the business but then also create the next greatest and biggest things. So when you see his reaction in the audience, there's not a lot of people there first Mm -hmm. off, because he can't dress it up at all. Like Borden is like the worst marketing guy ever, Mm -hmm. but then you see Michael Caine and he smirks like he's in the audience like this. And for those of you that that can't listen to the audio only version, it's a smirk where like his lip just barely moves. Like it's a little, but he's like going, Oh yeah. It's that a bit of a Mona good. Lisa smile, bit of a Mona yeah. Lisa smile she's got going on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, that was legit. But mm-hmm. then there's like one guy clapping in the in the audience, and that's all you see is him smirking, and then like that one clap, and and you're just like, mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, this could be a lot better, admittedly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And but I mean, that yeah. one guy. There's always that one guy to magic show. Like 
Because like everyone, everyone who's there knows it's an illusion and that there is a natural explanation for whatever's been done. Kudos on the magician for making it so we don't know what that is. But there's that one guy who doesn't know how it was done, like everyone else, but the difference thinks it's actually magic. Yeah. Just blown away. Just yeah. It's real to me, god damn it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh but, my god! Mm-hmm. But but it's it's such a stark contrast though to the other magic shows that you see in mm-hmm. in the film because every one of these these magicians that you're introduced to there there's all there's some kind of flash to every one of them or oh yeah a very mm-hmm. yeah like a very specific thing that they do that they want you to focus on because of the once again the imagery of this film like it's 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 very deeply seated and so when you mm-hmm. see Borden with like this badass trick. But I mean, it's dressed up like a bologna sandwich. Like there's just oh, yeah. nothing really, mm-hmm. nothing really crazy about it. No. So it, it was it was great to know that even with a trick that doesn't look that great, mm-hmm. it still drives Angier to the brink of madness. Yes. Mm-hmm. He's so obsessed. Mm-hmm. He's he's so full of hatred mm-hmm. that he has to know. And there's yeah. no way this this can mm-hmm. be as as simple. As Cutter makes it, which you know mm-hmm. he he says no 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 he just has someone that looks like him yeah that's, and that's it. who steps that's out be it mm-hmm. and yeah. and yeah so like he just refuses to take any simple or logical answer to be the truth mm-hmm. yeah so he yeah. almost like almost like he goes like full Spock with um when you've eliminated all the possibilities then the only thing that remains is the the illogical or something um, yeah. From yeah. the first Star Trek, uh, from that first Star Trek, from the the first of the Abrams movies, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah the only uh, thing that can be probable he... is like the improbable. However, improbable it must be probable. Something, yeah, something very yeah. Spock sounding. Yeah, I, yep. you're, you're you're right. I remember that line. It's it's, it's definitely yeah. something like uh, it's when like in the lo- absence of yeah. When you eliminate yeah. other possibilities, whatever is remains. However, improbable must be probable yeah, that yeah something like yeah you're right goblin said <laughs> yeah green but hobgoblin. hobgoblin yeah but but it's it's true though and it's what's funny is that michael kane actually mm-hmm. mentions uh this in a different movie where he says you know obsession is a young man's game you know <laughs> and and it's the truth mm-hmm. he's he's obsessing about yeah. this and to the point where he rips off the the trick you know angier rips mm-hmm. off the trick from borden and frankly doesn't do it very well uh, yeah. in in a technical sense, but in a, in a dressy sense, it looks it looks the part. Yeah, he goes a full on um, animated Ghostbusters versus the real Ghostbusters, where he literally calls it <laughs> the real transport like transported man or the actual transported man. It's like ah, oh, yeah. just a little jealous, are we? That we're gonna yeah. take the same name but just make it. Oh, this one's actually real, not that, not that that trickster. That shyster, he's not a real illusionist. <laughs> it's like those restaurants in Minnesota that came up with the, the Juicy Lucy hamburger. Oh, yep. <laughs> and they're like, this is the home of the, the real ju- Juicy, juicy Lucy. Lucy. Like, ah, you okay. see how we did that? They're just the Juicy Lucy with a real Juicy Lucy. They're lying across the yeah. street. It's like, just guys, the hamburger with cheese in the middle, thought, guys. Yeah, just cheese in the middle, man. Like, this is, <laughs> like, like, I remember having those, like, in, like, like grade school and they were called pizza burgers. There's a fucking frozen patty with mozzarella cheese in the middle. And it was the greatest worst thing we've ever had in our lunch menu in a terrible yeah. private little Catholic school. But yeah, <laughs> like it was like, Oh my God, it's pizza burger day. And it's like, Oh, it's like a juicy Lucy, but worse. Um, yeah. But it, I mean, not, not a groundbreaking um, uh, invention in, in, in food. But alas, and this is again, this is coming from Wisconsinites. Like we love cheese. So you think we would be in awe of how someone finally did something so simple as putting the cheese in the burger. But it's like, you Dude. know what? That's fine. That's Mama okay. didn't raise no fool. Okay. I know, I know, I know my meats and cheeses. I don't need it dressed mm-hmm. up. No, but, Mm-mm. but th- this, this is that part of the movie where dressing up the act actually kind of screws over one of the characters. And obviously it's, it's Angier because as we mentioned, he hires an assistant played by Charlotte Johansson or Scarlett. I said Charlotte. Scarlett. You did. Yep. I'm still living in National we're just, Treasure. We're, yeah, we're still in National Treasure. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> but he he actually sends his assistant to go and try to steal the transported man secret. 
And that ends up leading to her finding the journal of Borden and handing it over to him. And there's a very important clue in this journal. And it says Tesla Mm -hmm. in capital letters, which for those of you that actually know history, Mm -hmm. you would know that Tesla is not in 1800s London. He's actually over the United States. So Joe, to the point that you Mm -hmm. wanted to make about the, uh, we'll call it the, actually, what was it referred to as? No, no, no. But wasn't it called the current wars? Wasn't that what it was referred to? Yep. War of the Mm -hmm. currents. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. this is actually an important part in, 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 uh, I guess just the history of energy and technology in general Mm -hmm. is that Nikola Tesla actually did work for Thomas Edison, uh, during this time. And they did a challenge to, to test the efficiencies between, you know, AC and DC current. Of Mm -hmm. course, Nikola was on the right side with AC current. He was Mm -hmm. the more efficient of the engines. Yes. Rest his soul. Yes. But there, Mm -hmm. there was actually a bet, Joe, between Edison and, and Tesla, where Edison challenged him to go, okay, fine, prove that your current is more efficient and, you know, will we'll guide us to the path of clean energy and mm-hmm. more energy to all. And when Tesla solved it and said, here's how it works, he goes, yeah, I'm just not going to, we're not going to do that. I'm not going to pay for that. Yeah. Well, it was, um, I think it was actually, because it was when uh, Tesla was still working with Edison and Edison was having issues with the direct current engine. Um, and maybe the thing was like, those things were like rife with issues. And part of it was that um, because they tried sending out such high voltage, because the further the electricity gets away from the engine, the less voltage you have. So the, yeah. the idea is like, let's just beef up the voltage and that way you get a higher thing and it lasts a bit longer. Well, they kept burning out the engines when they did that. And so Edison uh, actually said, if anyone could fix this and actually make it work, I'd give him $50,000. And so you get Tesla who comes around and works for Edison. And in the meantime, he, he is trying to like work on the alternate current engine, which, by the way, he did not invent. The alternate current engine was mm-hmm. around before him. He, however, just made a better working one for the same way that we could say that Edison didn't invent the light bulb. Light bulbs were around before him. However, he made, he and his team made one that would last more than, you know, a few hours at a time, making them actually practical and able to be used. Same with Tesla and the alternate current engine. But Tesla, while working on that in his spare time, also working for Edison, actually did make the DC engines like from burning out and like like basically destroying themselves. So of course he does this and says, Hey, where's my $50,000? Because I fixed the engine. And Edison yeah. replies with, I don't think you understand American humor. Yeah. I'll just give yeah. you a little bit of an hourly mm-hmm. raise, but yep. you're not getting you're anything not, else. You're not getting that. So yeah. then that is what makes um, Testa mad and decides like, you know, he gets a nickel from someone and says, you see this? I opened <laughs> I my own my hotel. Own hotel. Yeah. Slaps yeah. at his head and then leaves. <laughs> or the or the eighteen hundreds version of fuck this shit, I'm out, and then he's just gone. <laughs> yeah. But mm-hmm. but they, they actually don't make this the focus of this this segment mm-hmm. of the movie, but they do allude to it. Mm-hmm. And, and 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 I mean we actually mentioned Andy Circus. Andy Circus specifically has lines where he talks about how Edison put a smear campaign out against us. Mm-hmm. And when they're doing a demonstration of the DC current as well, uh, Edison had people who were like planted in the audience to freak out. Mm-hmm. And so they had to shut down the demonstration and all that. So yeah. mm-hmm. they don't mention Topsy though. Yeah. The, that's like, Cause I was, I was trying to remember if like, was this, was that scene like the freaking out? Was that Topsy the elephant, but it wasn't Topsy the elephant. No, it, it wasn't Topsy the elephant, but for those of you that don't know, Edison definitely tried to show the dangers of DC current mm-hmm. and he did so by electrocuting animals. Yes. Like it was like, it was bad. Like as much as I like, don't like the disinformation of like making it seem that Tesla was this, you know, absolute God among men going around making these incredible inventions because a lot of what he made just didn't work. Um, yeah. what, what the stuff he did make was the stuff that did work was revolutionary. I don't want to take that from him, but um, the same with Edison, like, he was a businessman, but he was also a cutthroat businessman to the point where he would pay local children to round up stray animals. So that way he could make demonstrations of how unsafe alternating current was. And in the public, would he electrocute dogs and cats and strays? And it got so much to the point where, again, people desperate for money 
people's house pets were going missing because kids were literally stealing house pets because Edison was paying them to bring in animals for these demonstrations. And it all ends up coming to like a head with Topsy the elephant, where he publicly kills an elephant on a massive metal platform that he sends electricity through using an alternating current engine. Yeah. Which I'm happy they don't mention that part mm-hmm. in this movie, but I mean the it, it's, it's like a, a short history lesson though. I mean, it's, it's it's interesting how this is where they tra- they chose to wove this in because mm-hmm. David Bowie does a really good job in the limited time that he's in this movie yeah. of of making Tesla obviously appear very eccentric mm-hmm. and and soft spoken and his performance is is actually quite layered from that standpoint. Yep. But while he delivers this machine to Angier while he's visiting him because he pays him to develop this uh, this technology based off of Borden's journal which we come to find out is actually a wild goose chase. Mm-hmm. He sent Angier on a, a, a cross world trip and was just <laughs> messing with him. Yep. Thinking that there yeah. was like, there's no way he's going to actually benefit from going to Colorado to visit Tesla. Yeah. However, <laughs> as it turns out, <laughs> yeah. uh, it does benefit him to go and see Nikola Tesla. It does. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and what's, what's, what's funny about it too, is the, the way that they deliver this machine is, is kind of cool because on its face, you just assume, yep, that this isn't working. This isn't working. Mm-hmm. And then then suddenly you realize not only oh, did shit. it work, but it, it worked to peak efficiency. It just sent the target, you know, twenty five feet away from where they thought they were gonna end up. Yes. And mm-hmm. and so it does transport things, which mm-hmm. is what Angier was after the entire time. But yep. mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, it, it was yeah. a happy accident, as Bob Ross would say. Yes, it was definitely uh, an experiment in relativistic physics, and it didn't matter if you were the like the distance between transportation would depend on the size of what was being transported. Uh, you could actually yeah. transport anything of any size in any direction, which is unfortunately how Admiral Archer's prized beagle goes missing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's very true. <laughs> yeah, but at this point, though, in this movie, I thought this was a a, a rather fun part because. So far in the movie, we we do have some good expectations around what's going on, right? Mm-hmm. We and, and once again, going back to the themes, how everything and it's based on how you know how a, a an act of a magic trick, right? Mm-hmm. This is how the movie's playing out. So in, in the beginning, we're familiar with what's going on. We know that magicians do tricks. Okay, fine. But now we're at the point where, okay, we're actually being introduced to something that's somewhat extraordinary that we're not quite sure how to process. Yeah. And and so that's, that's how this whole middle section of the film kind of goes, the second act, if you will. Mm-hmm. And then when that concludes, it brings us back to London. And Angier at this point is a completely different person. Mm-hmm. Now he went under the moniker, the, the great Danton. Yes. But he's mm-hmm. much more serious upon his return, isn't he? He is. Mm -hmm. He is a man changed, which has a lot to do with, um, you know, what's going on in his personal life in this movie, as well as his need to beat Christian Bale's character throughout the film. So he's gone from caring about his showmanship to just having the better trick and making it Mm -hmm. so that no one else could figure out how he did it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's 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 pretty clear that there is something that we don't know that Angier knows. Mm-hmm. And at this point, it's pretty clear that there's something that Borden knows that we don't know. And as this escalates, it's it's a it's a rather fun journey because the third act of the movie, which is pretty much once again as when when Angier comes back from the United States and he's back in the UK, mm-hmm. that this this sense of of gray area really propels this third act. And I, I, it doesn't matter how many times I've seen this movie for third acts in movies. We're used to seeing these like big CGI fests and yeah. you know, one, one thing beats up another thing until mm-hmm. that other thing doesn't move anymore. Yeah. Or that the hero is being beaten by the main villain for a tertiary character to come in and save the hero. And then the hero saves the day. Seriously, Marvel, it's every fucking movie at this point. I love you, <laughs> but for the love of God, spice it up. 
<laughs> exactly. That doesn't really mm-hmm. happen here, man. Like no. th- this is a, mm-hmm. this is a, a totally different kind of payoff. And for the majority of this film, you are seeing what's kind of a mystery thriller, but it, I, I don't think it really ever gets too deep into that to where you kind of snooze a little bit, you know, mm-hmm. I, I feel like this wick burns pretty strong into this point. And, and, th- and that's what I think really helps sell how this movie concludes is that you have this like such a big veil of secrecy that you feel like has always surrounded Christian Bale's Borden the entire time. Mm-hmm. But Angier didn't so much have this behind his performance mm-hmm. because they, they point out earlier in the movie that there is a, uh, a specific Chinese music, uh, magi- musician, magician <laughs> who's elderly. Mm-hmm. But the whole point of his act is that, he wants you to think that he is so elderly that he's not strong enough to pick up the things in his act. Yeah. Right. And so they, they use that imagery to go, this is the actual performance is him showing you that, that this is what like he wants you to see. And, and mm-hmm. so we're starting to get that imagery really boiling up to this point because Angier doesn't want you to see anything, anything mm-hmm. about this new, this new trick demonstration that he's bringing mm-hmm. back from Colorado. No. And uh, it is interesting though, with Angier and how much like after watching um, Yo-Yo Ma, the great Chinese musician that you were referring to before uh, (laughs) and how he'd say like, he would never want to have his life be the act. One thing that we will, I'll throw in here is that Angier is actually hiding something the entire movie that has nothing to do with his act that, when thrown in here again, it gets it gets thrown into the actual prestige part of the movie, um, like during that 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 third act, is interesting. That it's it's like again, like you wouldn't have expected his character to be doing this uh, throughout the entire thing, and it's it's not something that's pointlessly woven in either. Again, it's just another great layer to this movie that comes forward. And of course, I was making fun of Mark with the the great Chinese musician Yo Yo Ma, who is an American of, Chinese cellist. Of um, course. Mm-hmm. And it was not the, the name of the Chinese magi- mus- uh, musician here. I'm doing it now. Uh, the Chinese magician. It's really easy to trip movie. over your words. It really when, is. When, yep. when we've been doing this for almost 150 episodes of like produced content. <laughs> and mm-hmm. and there's that one night where the perfect game is lost within the first like, you know, for, first two innings. The perfect game's gone. <laughs> Yeah, just feeling good with yourself. You, th- you strike out one guard, and you're like, yeah, this is going great. And you just throw him right down the pipe, and he cracks out of the park, and it's like, son of a bitch. There it goes. Yeah, Slap mm-hmm. your knees and, go- and do the Midwest yelp or whelp. We're out of here. Yep, so, there we go. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, but we don't want to skip over the third act of this movie. Mm-hmm. But holy shit, is it one of the greatest third acts of, of, of third acts? Like, if you're yeah. going to third act hard, this is the third acting you need to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's it's not just a convergence of secrets that you have the entire movie that if you watch closely enough, you can kind of figure out. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's it, it's literally mirroring the exact thematics of the book. And and it, 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 it's, it's like this slow burn mm-hmm. that just it it stops you dead in your tracks at the end. Yeah, because you find out so much more that's going on in this movie than they're just like how they do their tricks. Because obviously yeah. that's what they're trying to figure out with each other. And as the audience, you're going to figure that out a little bit before them. Um, but the way, like, God, just the way that there are some things that happen in this movie where a character is asked something and they say, like, they don't know. They, they don't know what's going on. And all you're saying, they're like, how would you not know? You did it. You should know what's going on more than anyone else. And then they show you why that character doesn't know. And that, that turned out that that, wasn't a throwaway answer that they were just giving uh, earlier in the movie. Just ah, brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's to your point, Joe, it's, it's the amount of imagery that shows up throughout this entire movie. And that's why the second viewing is essential because mm-hmm. you appreciate it, Like you said, so much more the second time that you see it. Yep. And yeah, it's, it's, it's so, it's so brilliant that, mm-hmm. It can be as simple as using a double in a magic act, put it that way. <laughs> but in retrospect, mm-hmm. Joe, I just wanted to mention a couple things about this movie. You know, the, the, the Edison Tesla battle that essentially went down in real history. I think it actually mm-hmm. is worth looking into if you're a fan of either history yeah. or just the film itself. Like mm-hmm. the, that, that era in human history 
it's a little depressing. Yes. <laughs> like Bratislava in the winter, but mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a little depressing. It's a little depressing. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it perfectly mirrors what's going on with these magicians as well. Mm-hmm. You know, they're fighting over similar ideologies and how to do it the correct way. And so it becomes the, the perfect theme to kind of set this against. Yeah. So yeah, cheeky. I can, it could have been like another opportunity that some films do where it just seems like, you know, the, the director is just trying to have like some sort of message that's being, where it almost feels like it's being forced into the movie where it's like, you know what? Like I get it. You're slamming it into my face. Now you want me to look at this. You want me to hear your message. And it, like, it always feels like the, it can feel forced. And like the, the delivery is always out of place. Kind of like, we're the spark that lights the new oh. fire of revel. Oh my God, it's us! Like, oh my God, this is bad writing. And somehow you followed up <laughs> with worse writing when, and somehow Palpatine survived. Oh my somehow. God, we're out of ideas. But anyway, like, this is something we're having this battle of Tesla and Edison does perfectly mirror what our two, I was going to say, like, we can we call them both our protagonists? There's no real antagonist in this movie because it's not where you can see one magician is clearly doing something worse than the other. And I, like, I would, maybe, would, maybe that goes back and forth in the movie. I, I would say this. I would say that, mm-hmm. that Hugh Jackman's Angier is much more on the antagonist side. Mm-hmm. There are things about him that you understand and his motivations, but I, I think, I think less people are going to go to his 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 corner as yeah. opposed to Borden mm-hmm. who I think Borden wasn't necessarily doing the wrong things in terms of how he treated the other people mm-hmm. until he's treated that way. Yeah. Like he reacts to what happens to him versus Angier mm-hmm. doing things to other people. And yeah, obviously he doesn't have to do the things that he does, but I think that's mm-hmm. really how to break that down. And yeah. and the core theme behind it is asking who is truly the one sacrificing more? And that's what I think separates those two characters. Borden from the beginning understands sacrifice. He understands what it means. And mm-hmm. he very clearly calls it out, as we mentioned, with this magician that he observes. Like he says, that's the real magic show is yeah. watching is watching him sacrifice what people think of who he is, right? Mm-hmm. And Jir didn't get that. Mm-mm. He wanted to take the shortcuts. Yep. And so... That was my big takeaway. What is, what is truly sacrifice and who's willing to do it? Mm-hmm. I feel like we could probably do an entire season on this movie and breaking it down <laughs> and going over every little thing that it does right. And it still wouldn't be enough time to cover it. Um, God, like if we still did side stitches and we called them like, you know, the second watch or the second, the second run or the uh, like uh, maybe digital dissection, new game plus. I don't yeah. know. Um, <laughs> like we could do that with this. And I, I think we could still have so much more to discuss over like, again, who sacrifices more, what, what themes are going on in this movie, uh, how the Nolans really layer that and layer it and layer it. And again, the fact that they can be like, you know, like I just criticized like how like directors and writers are like, just slam something in your face. Um, the fact that, they managed to be slamming something in your face the whole time. You didn't even fucking realize it. And that's what's done so well with it. And that's why this is good storytelling is because it is there the whole time. You just don't know what to look for. And a lot of it in some cases can be like sleight of hand, like camera work, where if you watch it the second, when you watch it the second time, like, oh my God, I fucking see it so obviously now. And in sometimes it's, you know, between props that are there and other times with people. Where, like, I can't believe I didn't recognize this actor in this moment. Um, so, God, watch this movie. Watch it twice. Watch it thrice if you need to. Just back to back to back. Clear out your schedule. I mean, if you plan on seeing Avatar 2, don't. Just watch this Prestige three times. And I might even say because I have anything against Avatar 2. I haven't seen it yet. And it's probably brilliant. Or could be maybe just the second Pocahontas animated movie on a different planet uh but we i don't know but definitely this movie is worth watching at least twice really close to each other i I was going to say i was going to pull a quote directly out of the movie joe Mm -hmm. you don't really want to know what's going on with this movie you want to be fooled 
That's that's the whole point. That's 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 the whole point of of what Cutter says in the beginning. You know, mm-hmm. you, you don't really want to know what's going on. You just you yes. just want to you want to experience something. And so, based on that, everybody, we're happy that you've continued to experience digital dissection and for listening to mm-hmm. us over this journey that we've taken over the past two seasons of of content. But as always, we appreciate all that the Dissection crew does for us week after week. We really do appreciate your support, and it goes a very long way. But if you did happen upon this show by accident, why not drop us a review or a comment yes. or mm-hmm. say something about the show down into that little you know, that little text mm-hmm. box section. We love to hear from you. So feel free to message us at digitaldissectionpodcast mm-hmm. at gmail.com. We welcome your ideas for future shows or possibly the transported man, your take on it. And well, really anything else regarding magic that you would like to discuss. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, until, yes, and speaking yeah. of magic that you'd like to discuss, because this is an episode about magic, uh, and we don't do any editing to this podcast, I will just say thank you. And this has been our episode on The Prestige. For those of you that listen to the audio only program, I apologize. That's why the video is here. <laughs>